0: It's a pleasure to be with you here today uh, to talk about the economic outlook for 2006. It's a pleasure in part uh, because the economic outlook is fairly encouraging. Growth is on a solid footing uh, despite the run up in energy prices this year and the disruptions of the devastating hurricane season. After a brief pause this fall, uh, employment is expanding again at a healthy pace Consumer spending continues to grow briskly, and business investment spending is robust. Now, granted, housing activity seems to be faltering, and at least some potential price level pressures uh, remain. So it might be too soon to break out the eggnog just yet. But inflation expectations remain contained, and I think the, we at the Federal Reserve are well positioned to resist inflation pressures should they emerge. So all in all, it's quite a good outlook. In fact. In the spirit of the holiday season, I'm tempted to say that I bring you tidings of comfort and joy. But I'm afraid that uh, you might think that uh, uncharacteristically exuberant for a central banker. So let me just say the tidings appear to be improving at a measured pace. (laughs) Now, last year at this gathering, uh, some observers noted that since I began attending the FOMC meetings, in my present capacity in June of 2004, I had compiled last year at this time a uh, perfect record of participating in five straight interest rate increases. I recall you were particularly pleased with that record, Henry, and I suppose you're even more pleased that today I stand before you with a record of 13-0, and 0, having extended my record this year. Uh, I pointed this out to my wife last week. She pointed out that I had the same record as Peyton Manning. Uh, But then he went ahead and stumbled uh, last weekend. Uh, Henry, I just hope that next year this time, you'll find it in your heart to invite me back, even if I should stumble in the next year and not extend my record to 21-0. and So I'm looking forward to being back next year. In my remarks today, I'm going to review the macroeconomic outlook in a bit more detail and then talk about monetary policy. Um, As always, my remarks reflect my own reviews and not necessarily those of any of my colleagues in the Federal Reserve System. Let me start by saying that the really striking feature of the current outlook is the extent to which economic activity in general, and consumer spending in particular, has rebounded from the shock of the hurricane season. In the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, fears were widespread that consumers might pull back sharply on spending both in response to higher uh, gasoline prices, sharply higher uh, retail gasoline prices, and out of a general sense of heightened anxiety about potential fallout from the storm damage. Survey measures of consumer confidence, which plummeted in September, seemed to bolster this view. But the effect of the storm on consumer outlays turns out to have been far more limited than expected and this exemplifies, in my mind, the uh, oft-cited resilience of the US economy. Apart from auto sales, which slid uh, following expiration of the summer's uh, employee discount promotions, retail sales have held up well, and overall consumer spending has continued to advance. And on the whole, holiday spending appears to be coming in stronger than many feared several months ago. I would argue that this episode illustrates well how consumption expenditures are governed predominantly by households' assessment of their own future income prospects rather than by any general economic anxiety or nervousness um, despite how they respond to pollsters. With healthy economic growth uh, ahead and a reasonably strong overall job market, uh, the outlook for consumer spending uh, looks good. Housing market activity has been very strong over the last several years. The historically low level of inflation adjusted mortgage interest rates explains much of that strength obviously. The fall in interest rates that began in early 2001 stimulated spending in interest rate sensitive sectors like housing and durable goods and partially offset the emerging weakness then in business investment spending. As the latter has recovered in the last two years, and real interest rates have had to rise as a consequence, a gradual handoff from housing investment has been expected. But that handoff has yet to occur. The ratio of business to residential investment outlays fell from around two and three quarters in 2000 to around one and three quarters last year and it's been fairly constant since then. Instead, the combination of low inflation-adjusted interest rates and sustained real income gains have continued to provide a strong stimulus to housing demand. In recent months, we at the FOSER Bank of Richmond and others um, around the system have received anecdotal reports of what one informant of ours calls a return to normalcy in some of the housing markets in our district. The multiple first day bids and final sales at above asking prices that were observed in some markets seem to have become uh, significantly less common. And in some markets, the amount of time a home spends on the market uh, has returned to more typical levels. At the same time, aggregate measures of housing activity have so far shown only limited pullback from their peaks and remain at historically high levels. And we got a really strong housing starts number yesterday. You might have seen in the paper this morning. Still, mortgage rates are likely to stay somewhat above their recent lows in the coming year. So I would expect housing price appreciation to flatten out next year and aggregate residential investment to stop growing or perhaps even decline. The fundamentals for business investment in equipment and software uh, look quite sound. Business investment is expanding steadily and real funding costs are relatively low both because inflation-adjusted risk-free rates has been low, and because corporate risk spreads are relatively narrow. Evidently, there's been a sufficient flow of opportunities to deploy new capital profitably. Business investments in equipment and software has grown at over 11% per year in real terms since the first quarter of 2003, and it appears poised to grow at rates almost that strong next year. Capital formation, of course, particularly investment in information and communications technology, played an important role in the widely noted surge in productivity growth that took place in the second half of the 90s. The fundamental driving force was a sustained and rapid fall in the relative prices of those technologies. Although initial productivity growth figures for that period were revised downward in subsequent data releases, our best estimates now are that productivity accelerated significantly in the mid-1990s from the relatively stagnant pace of 1.5% seen over the previous 20 years uh, to more like 2.6%. Productivity has grown surprisingly strongly in the years since then, 3.4% since the end of 2000, despite significantly lower rates of capital formation. Gains in labor force productivity, amount of output per worker input, um, whether due to capital deepening or due to improved business processes, ultimately pass through to real incomes. And as a result, total real personal income has grown recently, over 2% per year since the rebound in employment that occurred in mid-2003, despite significant energy price increases. If productivity continues at or above trend, as seems likely, then we should see healthy growth in real income um, over the next year anticipation of which should continue to support strong consumer spending growth in 2006. Labor markets have recovered from the recession of 2001. Although employment was stagnant for a time following the downturn, hiring picked up in 2003. Of course, Katrina disrupted labor markets by forcing displacement of close to a million people from the Gulf Coast region, That separated um, a substantial number of workers from their employers and destroyed or damaged a substantial portion of the capital stock in the affected areas. As a result, US employment growth was notably depressed in September and October, although quantitative estimates of the precise impact are are, uh, unclear. Payroll expansion resumed in November, however, and one would expect most of the gap Uh, to be made up over the next several months as reconstruction efforts get underway. The overall outlook, therefore, is for a healthy expansion next year. Real GDP should grow at somewhere around 3.5%. Household spending should grow at about the same rate in real terms. Business investment should expand substantially faster than overall output, and residential investment should expand more slowly, perhaps even falling in real terms and I expect employment to track the growth in the working age population. This is a fairly balanced picture, but naturally there's some uncertainty attached to it. Economic fundamentals could depart from their anticipated trajectories in any number of ways uh, that could leave a mark on the US economic aggregates. For example, spot oil prices, or other commodity prices for that matter, could well turn out to be either above or below the paths implicit in futures markets prices. Many global commodity markets have been affected by the unanticipated surge in worldwide demand over the last several years. Those for which supply elasticities are low have experienced significant price run-ups in many cases. Commodity price surprises in either direction could either could alter aggregate supply conditions and either add or subtract from economic growth. On the demand side, There's some uncertainty concerning the rate at which housing activity is likely to cool in the coming year. Although I do not think that a sharp fall in housing investment is likely at all, a range of forecasts from flat to moderately declining seem reasonable and plausible to me. And while continued growth in the share of output devoted to business investment seems highly probable, it's difficult to foresee with any certainty the scale at which Uh, businesses are going to want to invest uh, and find it profitable to to invest in the coming year. So spending in that category could well deviate uh, markedly from expectations. In contrast, growth in household spending is easier to forecast, both because economic theory and uh, empirical evidence uh, indicate strongly that consumption growth is tied closely to income growth over time. So the range of likely outcomes for real consumption growth is correspondingly narrow. Core inflation has been low and relatively steady in the last several years. The inflation measure that is preferred on methodological grounds, uh, the price index for core personal consumption expenditures, has averaged 1.8% over the 12 months ending in October. That is within the 1% to 2% range that I and others have proposed as an announced target for our central bank. Even before Katrina, overall inflation, that is including food and energy prices, was elevated due to the run-up in energy prices in the spring and summer of this year. Hurricanes Katrina and Rita significantly disrupted energy production in the Gulf and led to sharp increases in refining margins, and prices for gasoline and natural gas. Some of these run-ups have abated in recent weeks. But U.S. natural gas production and petroleum refining are still down 5% since Katrina, and crude oil production is still down 10%. Natural gas prices remain high and volatile. Monetary policy should respond to energy shocks by remaining focused on price stability. That way, the economy can respond to energy shock, price shocks the way it should. The relative price of energy increases, but core inflation remains anchored. In the immediate aftermath of hurricanes Katrina and Rita, monetary policymakers naturally have focused on the risk that an attendant energy price increase would pass through to an accelerating <clears throat> to an acceleration in core inflation. While the lack of an upsurge in core PCE inflation figures for September and October is somewhat encouraging, I think it's too soon to declare that pass-through risk is entirely behind us. This assessment is consistent with the statement released by the FOMC following its meeting last week, which noted, and I quote, elevated energy prices have the potential to add to inflation pressures. To my mind, any energy price pass-through to core inflation that is more than marginal and transitory, would be unwelcome. Thus far, market participants appear to believe that core inflation will remain contained. Survey measures of expected inflation rose sharply in September when retail gasoline prices reached their peak, but they've come back down since. Measures of expected inflation derived from market prices of inflation-protected U.S. Treasury securities drifted up a bit this fall, but they too have returned to levels of uh, Midsummer. To maintain credibility for price stability, it is essential that monetary policy should respond vigorously to any visible erosion in inflation expectations. I thank you.